0: So first of all, big shout out to Josh, who is not with us again this week and is very much missed. So hope you're listening to this, Josh. Uh, Otherwise, we probably won't have any listeners, but I'm sure that will change soon because we've got some really good stuff to talk about today. Last episode... We were talking about style and how we think our own style has developed over time. I say we, but then I talked about myself for the full 30 minutes. Uh, So this week, Fottis, it's your turn. And I'm really interested to know how... Yeah, what's your kind of writing story, writing journey, uh, as it were?
1: So today... Uh, with uh, hi, Jos, as well from me. Hi, uh, looking forward to having you back uh, soon. Um, so today, while I was thinking about uh, trying to talk about my writing style, I remembered why I started writing. So uh, apart from the you know the the, the the need for us to write, which we've talked about in the past, uh, I remember the book that kicked things uh, for me off. So, it was a particular book that I read and I thought it was less about the writing, more about engaging in, in the meaningful thought process that this book uh, thought, I, I thought that, you know, it was doing it's very, um, uh, yeah, as I, as I said to you offline, uh, this is not a very uh, well-reviewed book. So, uh, I'm not recommending it to anyone, uh, <laughs> to all our listeners, but I will talk about it fondly because I have a special relationship to it. It's called Slow Man. By uh, John Maxwell Kutzi. Uh, so I'm gonna read the opening the opening page because what I thought it would be nice to do is to to uh, read the the books that have captivated me essentially in terms of writing and and storytelling and um, then I will try to share something of my own and and I can actually uh, highlight the things I I think and you can comment on the things that you see. Uh, that are similar or different or, uh, you know, whatever comes to your mind. So this is the opening uh, scene from uh, the book Slowman. The blow catches him from the right, sharp and surprising and painful, like a bolt of electricity, lifting him up of the bicycle. Relax, he tells himself as he flies through the air, flies through the air with the greatest of ease. And indeed, he can feel his limbs go obediently slack. Like a cat, he tells himself, roll, then spring to your feet, ready for what comes next. The unusual word limber or limbre is on the horizon, too. That is not quite as it turns out, however. Whether because he legs disobey or because he is for a moment stunned, he hears rather than feels the impact of his skull on the bitumen, distant wooden, like a mallet blow does not spring to his feet at all but on the contrary slides meter after meter on and on until he is quite lulled by the sliding he lies stretched out at peace it is a glorious morning the sun starts is kind there are worse things than letting oneself go slack waiting for one's strength to return in fact there might be worse things than having a quick nap he closes his eyes the world tilts beneath him rotates he goes absent. Once, briefly, he comes back. The body that had flown so lightly through the air has grown ponderous, so ponderous, that for the life of him, he cannot lift a finger. And there is someone looming over him, cutting off his air. a youngster with weary hair and spots along his hairline. My bicycle, he says to the boy, enunciating the difficult word syllable by syllable. He wants to ask what has become of his bicycle, whether it's been taken being taken care of since as is well known a bicycle can disappear in a flash. But before those wars will come, he's gone again. So this is chapter one.
0: Wow. And you read that and you thought I want to be a writer.
1: Well I read the rest of the book, yes. Well
0: yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but what an opening. I really like the kind of the clash between the violence that's done to him and then the detail about the beautiful morning. I like that
1: i thought this was the best opening scene i've read mm-hmm. by the time i've read this book i've n- i've not read a scene so clean that can make you that can take you there straight away mm-hmm. and i find his writing you know very beautiful uh sometimes it's simple sometimes it takes you places and it's it's more hard to read but i, I don't but i like it anyway but i remember i recall about this book what made me want to write and it's just a writing it's in page 77 there's a paragraph that i thought this paragraph only makes sense because he 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 wrote the story in a way that the, that the previous 25 to 30 pages made that paragraph so much mar- so much more impactful for me so throughout that first part of the book he's refusing to uh get a prosthesis For his amputated leg because the leg is amputated so that's the part of the struggle that he goes through so from a bicycle self-sustained individual he goes to being an amputee Mm -hmm. and uh, he refuses a prosthesis because he feels this is going to be uh, I can't remember now but he refuses uh, vehemently to get one and he goes all through that and then he changes um, so they send him women uh, from a uh, from a service to help him and he ends up with one a marihana from a different country, from Croatia that she, she lives in Australia for a few years and then she spends time with him and she finds comfort in him and he starts to fall in love with her or, what, or he thinks he falls in love with her but that's the emotion that seems to be tugging at him and while she helps him and they talk about the prosthesis and you know all of the things that she does for him He he reaches a point where uh, he wants to hug her, and the, the, the paragraph goes, What he ought to do, of course, is embrace the woman, breast to breast. She could not mistake him. But to embrace her, he must put aside the absurd crutches that allow him to stand up. And once he does, that he will totter, perhaps fall. For the first time, he sees the sense of an artificial leg, a leg with a mechanism that locks the knee and thus frees the arms. So when mm. I read this paragraph and I and I realized how the fact that he was using uh, the crutches uh, um, and he didn't want and his regret is so obvious in that paragraph from all these uh, previous uh, pages that he was so uh, stubborn in doing what he wanted to do. It's, mm. It just made me feel something, you know, just um, and I thought it was worth reading all these pages before just to read this paragraph. So
0: that's great. That, I love that. That just hit you while you were reading it, and it had such yeah. an impact on you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that that's exactly what uh, made me fall in love with this with his book, with his writing, and I guess that's where I understood uh, to some extent what writing, uh, you know, the structure of a story and how it may um, it may bring things out to you, uh, mm-hmm. or you know the, the, that. Things that seem, um, you know, in first sight, things that may seem like out of place in, you know, or, or mundane, mm-hmm. uh, they can they can take such an importance if you if you structure them properly in your story. So I'm not going to share any more from this book, uh, but this is what they, because the book loses a lot or or it makes it very unique, hard to read because halfway through he introduces an, an extra uh, character that makes it metafiction almost that, so it's very complicated, but it's his longtime character, Elizabeth Costello, that he has created like an alter ego and she enters the story and she, she takes over and she asks. And, and I think the, the point is that she is writing the story about Paul Raymond, which is the character in the book. And essentially he brings the person that tells the story in the book but it's not him <laughs> that who writes it's Elizabeth Costello so it's a mm-hmm. bit uh, uh, the first half uh, and then Elizabeth Costello is always as part of the story and uh, she's having conversation with Paul like the fictional character that she's trying to think about so it's it's like the, the connection between author and your fictional character mm-hmm. essentially um, so you have to be really uh, up for it I guess you it, it might um, put you off if yeah if that makes sense yeah I because the story that. is very because the story is very interesting up to that point i think it was it, but that, that's the thing i think maybe he struggled with with getting it through from from the second to the third part and i think that's why he, maybe he introduces Elizabeth costello i don't know because maybe he couldn't see it through so he started doing that um about uh, the narrative and who tells the story and how you tell the story so it's interesting on its own just to underst- try to understand it, but I'm, I'm not sure as a book would, would, would make, would have an impact. Uh, also, you have to consider I was very young,
0: <laughs> younger
1: <laughs> when I was reading that. So um, I, I'm easily impressed. Uh, I was easily impressed. Um, so the next uh, author that I would like to mention was Juan Gabriel Vasquez. He's a um, more recently successful, mm-hmm. like in the 21st century. Um, He writes, he's from Colombia, he studied in Europe, Uh, he writes mostly about Colombia, though. Uh, His most uh, uh, well-known book is um, uh, The Sound of Things Falling. Uh, Oh, I like
0: that sort of title,
1: I have to say. I mean, that's a classy title. It is, it is. (laughs) Um, he, he, He talks about history and the impact of history and memory um, on on characters, you know, because Colombia has a very interesting history, especially with uh, from the 1930s onwards with dictatorships, uh, drugs, uh, and you know, the economy is very challenging in many ways uh, in that part of the world. So he has a lot of things to talk about and he likes to see always how that impacts uh, the, the current generation. So I think that's my understanding, mm. anyway, the, the broad understanding. I haven't read uh, more of his work so i can tell you more about it uh and but i started reading him through another book called reputations which is about a political cartoonist javier malarino um so it's about confronting an incident uh halfway through the story so it's not i would have to read out um, the blurb to, to make sense, but this is not why I, I want to, to to share to share this. It's more because I think personally the writing here is very much to my liking. Mm-hmm. So I will I will read again uh, a couple of pages from from the opening pages of this book called Reputations. Sitting on a bench in Park Santander, having his shoes signed before it was time for the tribute to begin, Malareno was suddenly sure he would just seen a long dead political cartoonist. He had his left foot on the wooden crate and his back pressed against the the cushion so his old hernia wouldn't start acting up and he'd be letting the time slip by reading the local tabloids. The cheap newsprint blackening his fingers and the huge red headlines telling him of bloody crimes, sexual secrets, aliens abducting children from barrios on the south side. Reading the tabloids was a sort of guilty pleasure, something he only allowed himself when nobody was looking. That's what Malarino was thinking about. The hours he'd wasted here, given over to his perversion beneath the pale sunsets, when he looked up away from the worlds, as one does to remember, and finding his gaze met by the tall buildings, the ever-gray sky, the trees that had always been cracking the asphalt, feeling as though he were seeing it all for the first time. And then it happened just a fraction of a second. The figure crossed 7th Avenue in his dark suit, untidy bow tie and broad brimmed hat, and then turned the corner beside San Francisco church and disappeared forever. In an effort not to lose sight of him, Malarino leaned forward and stepped off the crate just as the boot was about to apply the shoe polish to the leather and left an oblong mark on his gray sock, a black eye looking up at him from below accusingly, like the man's half closed eyes. Malarino, who until now had only seen the boot black from above, the shoulders of his blue overalls speckled with fresh dandruff, the crown cleared by an encroaching baldness, found himself facing a veiny nose, small protruding ears, and a mustache that was white and grey like pigeon shit. Sorry, said Malarino. I thought I'd seen someone. The man went back to his work, the well-aimed strokes of his hand, applying shoe polish to the instep. Hey, he added, could I ask you a question? Go ahead, Chief. Did you ever hear of Ricardo Rendon? Silence reads him from below. One beat, then a second. Doesn't ring a bell, sorry, said the man. If you want, we can ask my colleagues after. So, this is the first page and a half. There is nothing. Um, so, again, I think the way the, the scene moves, uh, you know, from, from describing this, the surroundings, and focusing again on something, uh, on an activity, I always like that. I think it helps me as well, personally, with my writing, mm-hmm. um, especially the single event, uh, I guess, that uh, that I can I can build the scene around it. So in, in this particular case, it's the bootleg and the shining of the shoes, um, which captivated my attention when I was reading it.
0: Yeah, um, that's something that I learned as well. I was going to ask you how that had inspired your writing. And um, I I remember learning a few years ago about the importance of concrete objects. And this is a little bit different from this example because your character is engaged in an activity. But with the objects, it's, it's it's how you get across the subtext. You talk about the object and not the bigger issue. So it's focusing on the detail of the boot black and we understand what that person looks like but not the other person who he thinks is seen, which is quite clever.
1: Yes. Um, of course, if I read more of the, of the opening chapter, I'm sure we, uh, I can't remember now word for word what's happening in the opening scene, mm. but um, in terms of this kind of writing and how it, um, I just find it when I write in English, uh, I think it always has to be very complicated or very difficult or very, um, very, you know, uh, higher level English or something i don't think that's what he does uh mm. at least the translation because it is from spanish uh i i don't see in the language something that's out of reach for me anyway no not at all um,
0: and that's the beauty of it he's he's taking something very every day and he's yes. doing something really nice with it but mm-hmm. it is still very everyday language
1: exactly so mm. um Think the other books of his that are, that I read they are like that they, they are, mm. the, the thoughts that he's going through and the way he brings the scenes together are very they can be very complex and he does this thing like inception in a way like from the present he brings um, uh, he brings the past uh, but also past can be very factual in some ways but he also brings memories into the game where memories can distort the past in, 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 mm. in, in various ways. So that's what he's he's playing with uh, in his writing, and that's why I like it in, in many ways because um, I want to do the same thing exactly because I think uh, Greece is called actually the Columbia of, of the Balkans.
0: Oh really? I didn't know. Like because
1: that. yes, because we have a, a very uh, some uh, corruption, for example, um, uh, and other elements of crime can be very similar. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have uh, Europe to cover for us, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and some of our history, you know, some things tend to go, you know, under the rug, as they say, uh, because you focus on other things for Greece. But the daily, the daily life, uh, while it's not uh, in your face so much, uh, there are challenges with with corruption mm-hmm. and and crime and uh, other things, uh, and drug trafficking uh, and all of this stuff. So. And I think what what I like about Juan Gabriel Vásquez and, and his writing is how he he uses that past to talk about the present, and that's what mm. I am at least attempting to do. Mm, and nice. by present I mean you know the, the current generation. It would be it would be thirty years ago, forty years ago, or or then the impact of that uh, of that last 30, 40 years that it has to today. Mm. Of course, Chris has a lot of history from the fifties and. World War Two and how the, the modern um, country has been formed, but uh, I guess I'm trying to make my writing in a way that will actually accentuate these, these themes. So that's what I'm trying to find with writing and usually, I don't know if you've noticed, but both of them have, uh, they are written in the third person, he. The ones that I've mostly mm-hmm. been inspired by. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a little bit detached, I guess, from the individual, and I don't want to put myself in that position yet. Uh, it feels more personal, more more. That's
0: out interesting. Because <laughs> what I've, what I know you're doing in your writing, and what I think is coming out in especially Vasquez, and it reminds me of another Colombian writer, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who I've been rereading recently. Um, And these writers are taking something very small and local, like a father-daughter relationship, but that kind of stands for the political history or the socioeconomic condition of a country or a town or a nationality or something like that. And it's like that concrete objects thing. By talking about the, um, the small and the tangible, you can talk indirectly about the intangible. It's clever really, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Well I I I thought uh I thought that what is important to talk about when you talk when you want to talk about politics. Mm -hmm. It's not about the politics themselves. It's about how the politics impact the least fortunate I would say Mm or the masses of society uh without neglecting those who are you know successful or uh, you know successful in in quotation marks or you know those who have challenges you know financially or uh people like myself that had to leave greece or people who cannot afford education or all Mm -hmm. of these all of these interesting elements that that are that are a direct consequence of politics well you know if you want to read about how a political party works you can read a political book but uh, when you're reading fiction I think you have to find a way to talk about the family the personal the mm-hmm. how how it stops you you know when how political decisions can affect you in very real terms so that that's what I was trying to figure out from the from day one in terms of I said I will never write something that's just um, essayistic in a way when it comes to fiction, it has to be uh, about the person uh, mm-hmm. in the end and whether people can make something out of it and, and link it to a political concept. Yeah, I, I think I will, the dialogue will always have elements of political conversation in there, you know, uh, or, or something that's uh, making you think about that concept when you're reading the story. And that's why I like Kutsi as well, because he's doing it from a different perspective, uh, very successfully for the apartheid in in South Africa, yes, so yeah. all his stories, you can see that kind of tension that comes with the with real life elements of the mm-hmm. time uh, in South Africa. Um, so these are the two uh, that uh, I can definitely say that uh, I can identify mm-hmm. to some extent with, uh, and I aspire to some of the writing. And I think uh, I was going to mention a third one, uh, which is uh, an honorary mention for Josh as well. I gave you that book, Josh, All That Man Is, uh, by David Shalai. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but um, it's a, a short stories. Uh, short stories. It's a combination of, of eight different stories that essentially uh, create one bigger story. Well, that's so while clever so while uh, part one is a different it's two different characters part two is they are all connected in some way and it it goes in a circle in the last story with the first and uh, generational it's more about uh, it's very funny when I was reading it I remember it was very funny it was very easy to read through uh, and very beautiful writing I think it's his most successful book Uh, I bought another one of his and I was not very (laughs) uh, very (laughs) impressed but instead of reading other people's work um, I did promise to read something older of mine Excellent. to show you uh, what I was trying to achieve um, at the time so I'm going to talk about uh, a short story I, I, I uh, sent to a, combi- to a uh, competition Business or Pleasure it's called the title and I can't believe I actually sent the competition because it's full of grammatical and syntactical errors, which you find out later that, uh, you know, how perfect something should be before you actually send it. But um, I enjoyed the, the challenge. It's all uh, a
0: learning process. Yes.
1: <laughs> but yeah, but at the time, I think all I want to do is finish the story and send it. So uh, I'm really excited I did it. So here it goes. Arriving at Gatwick Airport, Fedon has figured it all out. How he will go through passport checks, swiftly move on to the Marks & Spencer Simply Food store to buy a bag of crisps, cheese and onion he prefers, a half a litre Coca-Cola bottle and a ham and cheese sandwich. He will then naturally sit somewhere to enjoy the dinner before moving to the exit of the north terminal of Gatwick Airport International Arrivals to wait for the coach that will take him to his home, his second home now. All is planned and he will be back to his place by nine PM. First, he needs to make sure his passport is ready to be handed to the man or woman that will be checking that he is who he says he is. Fedon is checking the inside pockets of his bomber jacket. Thinly dressed, he thinks for a March thinly dressed, he thinks, for a March evening. It seems as though all the days of the year he usually travels back to England are one and the same. It is always colder in England than in Greece. The woman in front of him provides the immigration officer with a passport, he opens it, scans her inquisitively while she's waiting there patiently to be allowed to enter the country. He approves, the man approves, so she passes the gates. Now it's Fedon's turn. How happy he is that he will be resting soon after 12 hours of traveling. Fedham steps forward. Passport, please, says the man behind the desk sitting in front of a computer. The screen's splashing enough light to his face for Fedon to realize this is an old man clearly displayed by his white beard. Fedon opens his passport in the page he should. He looks at his face and sees the picture taken three years ago. Three years ago, he created his his passport to come to England to become an export officially. And for reasons unknown to Fedon as of yet, the conversation occurs. Country of origin, asks the man, Greece. Fedon responds, surprised. He usually goes through the borders without any sort of questioning. Have things changed in the days I was gone? asked himself. Year of creation, nay, fruition, the man seems to be determined to take this further. 1988, Fedon plays the game. Height, six feet one or one hundred and eighty-five centimeters. Eye color, blue. Hair color, or what's left of it, whispers the man, letting a small chuckle escape his mouth. Blonde, Fedon, thankfully missed the comment, or did he? Celebrity look alike, Jude Law. Some might say army hammer too. You wish, says the man, the comment escorted by a snort of derision. Wait, what? Fedon asks rhetorically rhetorically, not sure what was this about. The man continues unperturbed, shape of head, egg shaped. Favorite quote, I'm pulling your legs, sir, the man reacts instantly, putting the subject to bed by adding jokingly. There isn't such a question in there. However, this would not be the end of it for Fedon. Right, most importantly, are you here for business or pleasure? Business. Purely business, then. No pleasure, no pleasure at all. What are you doing here if not to take pleasure from it, sir? Fedon is taken aback with the unexpected turn of events. His hands holding even more tightly now the laces of his backpack. He must not let nerves come into this into what what is this finally moments or years later he can't tell fedon responds this is none of your business no pun intended voltaire would have added to judge a man by his questions not his answers what if i were to judge this persona non grata by his questions fedon reflected momentarily indiscreet that is what the man is that is the verdict i must ask sir it is why i'm here you know this very post on this very seat why? Who are you? Fedon picks up the baton. Why must I have this conversation with you here now? I don't know what more is there other than business. What do I uh, what I do for pleasure? It's my business. Again, not, no pun intended. Is it important who I am? The question must be the most important thing here. I'm no one and everyone. I don't like this question. What is pleasure? Personal, professional? All right. felon finds the courage to confront his accuser. I'm here to give pleasure through conducting proper business. Pleasure to yourself or to others? To others, I hope. To others would be my objective. Yes. What about yourself, though, sir? What about you? The man insists, two red lips moving pointlessly up and down, gray hair above them and below, the words coming out with great intensity. I need to know, I need to ask, you must understand. Must I understand what? What, I do not, what if I do not want to say? What if I don't know what pleasure is to me right now, right at this point of my life? Is everything about pleasure personal for that matter too? Can we just be? Let it be. Must we do everything with a purpose and an end game? Will you answer these questions for me, please? I can keep going, but I'm not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I remember reading that when you first wrote it, and. Um... I, I just, I loved it because I thought, yeah, these are all of your experiences of returning to this country, all bundled up in this character. And um, yeah, there's there's a bit of life there. I, I really <laughs> liked it. I really liked it because it's, it's going through passport control, but then it's not. It's also, what are we here for? I love that. You ask such big questions in your writing. With such small details.
1: Uh, thank you for that. I, I hope it's uh, it comes across like that. I, I know it's a bit self-absorbing, self. Uh, absorbing, uh, self um, yeah, uh, I, I I put myself a lot in this one, but I I don't think I could have written in it any anywhere uh, any way other, uh, because I have to be the one answering these questions or, or answering or mm-hmm. answer uh, asking these questions, and you no, know, the answers are not for me anyway. One. That's why the dialogue uh, uh, seems to be going on and on without an end, without actually an answer.
0: And I mean, it does end. Obviously, the story does end. Um, yes. But were you satisfied with the ending?
1: I, I was. I was very happy with the ending. I, it was um, because he goes through this this whole process where he's still trying to figure out. He, he's been taking a side essentially in this. Uh, I'm going to say it to say this. Don't laugh in a Kafkaesque way, <laughs> where he goes on a, in a in a dreamlike situation where he's taken aside by this bureaucratic man, and uh he's keep being asked questions like uh, about business and pleasure, and uh, essentially what is the purpose of living a country and you know going to another country, and eventually the man is trying to get him to understand that he has to find enjoyment in this. you You know, you can't deal with it just as a, as a business proposition. Mm-hmm. However, obvious it is that it's going to be about business. Uh, and he, he, at some point I make a metaphor about bananas and the export of bananas and that he feels like um, an export and um, which at the time I thought it was, it was clever, uh, whether it's, uh, it, I don't know about it anymore, but <laughs> at the time it was okay. And it finishes essentially the last paragraph is, Is very much a a return to reality where it says uh, uh, he wakes up and he keeps looking at his watch and it now says four in the morning which tells him there are two more hours of sleep before he has to wake up and go to work he lies awake what does one do when they don't feel like going back to sleep he opens the light next to his bed he thinks twice what to do too upset to go back to sleep too unsettled to focus and read he chooses to watch a movie he might as well be at work a couple of hours earlier. Is not that eager. The tie, shirt, and jeans he, and he has chosen to wear tomorrow can wait. Watching a movie will do for now. So that was the last paragraph. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's essentially, you know, life goes on, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever whatever everything is. I just have a, a lot of questions about identity and you know where you're born and where you end up and all of this belonging kind of thinks that, um, you know, I wrote this four, three, four years ago, I think, which is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've matured, <laughs> I'm changing as a person since then, so it's, um, it's 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 interesting to reread it after so many years. Uh, but yeah, I think when I read it, I, I see some traces of the people I've, I've read and trying to imitate them in, in many mm-hmm. ways. Uh, the third person, the questioning, the... Um, Yeah, this kind of stuff, Uh, whether I do it well or whether I,
0: yeah. Well, do you feel that um, you have improved in the way that you do that? Because you you said in that story you were trying to imitate it, but I'm sure you wouldn't say now in your writing that you were imitating anyone, that you found a bit more of your own style or your own voice.
1: Well, I think. Uh, it was never intended to be an imitation. I think it was natural that it was coming out from the things I've read mostly. Um, mm. So they had a big influence when I was learning English. So because you have to remember, it's an acquired language, mm-hmm. English for me. So a lot of it is by repetition of what I've read. So I, I don't think I uh, I will find my own voice very, very quickly. I think I feel comfortable in, in a writing style that I've found somewhere else so I can try and... Um, ask the questions I want to ask or say the things I want to say so even in my current writing I think I'm I purposely what I hope I've, I've done is I'm, I'm more able to, to think about long a, a big story rather than a short story like this which was challenging on its own to, to think about mm-hmm. something to write in three thousand words and with a beginning and an end but it's more of a scene and I don't know whether it counts as a short story or not in other ways so I think I've managed to think about and learn how to write in a longer form, and uh, and essentially trying to do the things I pointed out from the first book, uh, from Kooz, where things happen in the first part that they are revealed in the second or in the third part of the book. And uh, in terms of writing and voice, I think I'm still. It's it's fifty-fifty, I would say. Some of it still you can see the traces if you mm-hmm. if you pay attention. But there is also a part of the book that I'm, I I think I'm doing something completely new for me. Um, It is first person. It is uh, different. Uh, And yes, I actually, the, the letter writing of the book is in first person. So I like to think I've, I've, I've done something with it, but I have to consciously move away from the third person if I really want to develop something of my own mm-hmm. and and then it goes down to what is what counts as a voice <laughs> which i don't know what counts as a voice
0: that is definitely a conversation for another episode indeed indeed <laughs>